sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. and shine sports investors it is another beautiful day in the neighborhood thursday july 9th let's cock a doodle do it this is the early line giving you the edge on sports grid i'm dane martinez as usual i got my main man kevin walsh coming live and direct from the basement where we put the fun and functional sports content and kev i don't know what you were doing last night but there was you know major team american sports on televisions to be consumed from the quote-unquote bubble in orlando and the home team got it done no i didn't hit my draw or Orlando wins the first game of the MLS is back tournament two to one. But I actually think, Kev, the headline of this game was not hashtag MLS is back, but what they put up on the screen, hashtag MLS is black. What did you think, Kevin, about the demonstration, the interview at halftime with the black players for a change? I don't know if there was eight minutes and 46 seconds or not, but it was a long demonstration at the beginning. Teams from uh, players from all teams coming around doing the salute. I thought it was a powerful gesture and the headline of the action last night. Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe it was um, 8 minutes and 46 seconds. And it I mean, there was like over it. 100 players stood around um, the field. Everybody that was playing in the game took the knee. The refs took the knee, which is something that we saw in the Premier League that I personally found to be substantial because nobody would look at the refs to this, but I guess it's this situation, Dane, that we're seeing where everybody's understanding the importance of this, right? Everybody's yep. understanding the message behind these demonstrations, and you then see the referees, you know, coming with, okay, yes, we, us as well, we, we will take this knee with you. I, I thought it was a very powerful demonstration. I thought it was I thought it was an important one, and I think it's one that can continue to probably help set the standard throughout sports. I, I mean... One of the, the more impressive things, right, is this was coordinated by the Black Players for Change group that has only existed since late May as in, within the MLS. Like, they, they came together to try to figure out how they can do pretty much what they did, how they can right. continue to make their voices heard, how they can continue to create change with the platform that they have. And I thought it was an incredibly powerful demonstration that it went head on it took it head on and it it, it, it was just so powerful because there were so many people involved with it yeah. that again you, we're, we're seeing then that this isn't you just you think back to colin right and he was out on an island for yeah. the most part right and now it it is you just see so many people coming together for what is still a very very important message and i thought it was incredibly well done yeah, absolutely. You know, we have been talking about this for a while, Kevin. You know, the tide is turning, right? You know, and the idea mm -hmm. of the cover of being able to, in essence, be ignorant is, you know, kind of evaporating away from you. And then you become the one on the island. Later on in the show, in the 8 o'clock hour, we're going to have a chance to talk to an MLS, uh, you know, correspondent for the show, Tom Bogart, and get some more thoughts of what actually happened on the field, what we can expect on the field in the rest of this tournament. But another thing that we do have to talk about kind of as a headline story you know kev we've been talking about the fc dallas situation right and nashville was another team just yesterday kev we were talking about it as though it was five positive tests yeah well as time moves on more positive tests are determined they now have i believe nine or ten players and staff as well their game was supposed to be the second game last night it did not happen and in an interview with mls commissioner don garber at halftime of the first game he opened the door that that Nashville may have the same fate as FC Dallas, and that would take maybe a reorganization of the groups, if you understand, because FC Dallas now mm -hmm. is in a group down with three, but Nashville would be in that group going from six to five, so maybe they could ease 
even it back out. There's been a lot of schedule changes and the like. I guess I have the same question that I have with these other sports as well. Will MLS continue to stomach uh, implementing their policy? Do you think Nashville is going to play a game in this tournament? No, it's, I think it, it's becoming very likely that Nashville finds themselves with the same fate of FC Dallas. We had the five positive tests, and then there were four uh, results that they considered inconclusive. They got those tests back, and it's been reported mm-hmm. uh, over at The Athletic that those are now positive tests, bringing the number up to nine. I believe it was ten players within FC Dallas that ended up leading to them being removed from the tournament. Again, I don't think the threshold is double digits, but I just think the way the situation has played out for them, already having that first game postponed, now you're going to be without at least nine players. The the way they approach things with FC Dallas, I think it looks bleak that we actually see Nashville SC uh, play games here. I I do, and I also think because you, you don't want to then risk exposing them to other teams. And, you know, we talked about this yesterday, right? We had we put up a poll early, uh, early morning about, you know, how many more teams in right. this tournament are going to have an outbreak, right? And it ended up, you know, we only, I only put it up for a certain amount of time, right? And there was a tie between more than one and the tournament won't finish. Now, I'm pretty sure based on the way the polls went, I think it was the only person that voted for one more team. And that was Nashville that we were kind of right. expecting to see something happen with. And thus far, at the minimum, right, you would say that is what seems to be the next step right now, is it does seem like Nashville is going to be removed from this tournament. Yeah, I think you're right on that one. We'll, we'll speak with Tom about that as well. But you know what, Kevin? I think it's interesting. We talk about just things like wearing a mask in this country, right? And when you mm-hmm. wear a mask, you're not actually protecting yourself. You're protecting others. That's what I hear on commercials left and right. That's the kind of narrative out there to get behind understanding it's not about you, it's about others, right? Um, Mm. I sort of think MLS is applying this logic with FC Dallas and ultimately I think over the next 24 hours what we're going to hear with Nashville as well. It's not about protecting them. It's about protecting everyone else, these other teams they may come in contact with. Maybe this doesn't sound good, but the the sanctity and the feasibility of the tournament itself. And I want to also mention another sport, right? Because if you were watching the game last night, they had these aerial shots, remember? Because they had a lot of different camera angles because, you know, they can't have a full-on camera crew there. They had a lot of aerial shots, a lot of drone shots. And at one point, the commentary said, hey, and that building right over there is one of the facilities where the NBA is going to play their games. Literally in the same, you know, right across a path or whatever it was. And so I always think about this when we talk about the quote-unquote bubble and we're talking about and seeing what happens in MLS. I think the connection is always to the NBA, right? Because we're trying to preserve and protect the bubble. So maybe Nashville will not play. I've always said that as these things continue to happen, and whether it's positive tests or looking like the bubble isn't a bubble, it may impact the feelings of others in the NBA as well. And I want to go there, Kevin, because, you know, players are arriving to Orlando right now, right? Over these couple mm-hmm. of days, they're coming into the bubble. Whether Nashville is an outbreak or not, they are coming in. And, you know, teams are starting to backfill their rosters as well. I know the Nets have done so with Jamal Crawford, with Michael Beasley. But what do you think about these players arriving as MLS is going and dealing with outbreaks and still trying to, like, the show must go on? Yeah, I think it's still tough to figure out how separated the NBA is from the MLS. Like, I know, obviously, they're all within the same, uh, you know, amusement park or however you want to kind of put it, right? Like, I know they're all within that. I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, but, you know... Are they going to end up finding themselves in the same dining halls? Is it going to be a matter of this quarantine process potentially then just dictating who is able to kind of get to a certain threshold, if you will? But we've seen, you know, the the arrivals have begun. I believe today is the final day of arrivals, which then means we will have all 22 teams at the bubble uh, as of today's end. I believe those are that's, you know, the expectations and. This is going to kind of be the next stepping uh, stone, I guess, if you will, Dane, for the NBA. So, again, the first set of preseason games is supposed to be on the 22nd 
of July, which means okay. that we are now just less than two weeks removed from when those games will be. Right. You would have to think that potentially let's, you know, next Wednesday, maybe, right, we would get a testing update and see where things are at. Is there an FC Dallas? Is there a Nashville SC somewhere in this bubble that they currently have? The difference, though, again, I still think for the NBA is they will be a week out from preseason games, two weeks out from regular season games, Get again, giving themselves the flexibility to work through this process, have players who, if, if still um, currently testing positive for COVID, are going to be quarantining and then watching how it potentially develops. Yeah, absolutely. You know, however, you did always, you did say that preseason starts on the 22nd. We are 13 days away from there. We are officially in the quarantine window. Right? Like if someone tests positive from now on and they have to quarantine for 14 days or get the second negative test, we are now compromising at least their ability, that person, to join their team for preseason and, you know, hit that kind of ramp up time. And we've talked about the soft tissue injuries and all of those things that do uh, pop up without adequate runway, shall we say. You mentioned some of the uh, Nets uh, backfilling. That has mm. happened, you know, Kev, whether it be uh, Jamal Crawford, Michael Beasley, these are ne- names we knew were kind of out there on the on the call list for teams. Ironically, though, Kev, the Nets still do not have a win total for these eight games up. They are the only team that does not. Do you think now that their roster is becoming clear, um, they will have a total up there? Where are you leaning? Does this change your idea on, say, the Wizards being at only one and a half? Are there any impact on these win totals for you just yet? I think we are, though. I think what you alluded to there is the reason why we don't have a Brooklyn Nets win total is because the roster isn't complete, right. or at least it wasn't complete, and maybe later on today we will see then a Brooklyn win total come through. I do think that Jamal Crawford and Mike Beasley, though, joining up with this Brooklyn team is interesting. It it brings me back to when we had initially talked about the transaction window in the NBA and trying to figure out, is this just going to lead to the rich getting richer? And there was the other idea, though, that some of these players might see the opportunity in minutes and the ability. Jamal Crawford might play 30 minutes a night. Like, Mike Beasley's going to play way more for the Brooklyn Nets than, say, he would have for an L.A. Clippers team, right? So... That opportunity right now is seemingly being seized by at least Beasley and Jamal Crawford, and at the minimum, right, they're two well-known guys that we'll get to see uh, out there for Brooklyn, and it makes them a little bit more interesting. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, my mind always thought to, hey, this is a quick way to maybe chase a championship if that opportunity. It is also the opportunity to put stuff on tape for all the NBA teams. If you want to extend your career, that can be seen. We are off and running on the early line. When we come back, there is news in the NFL that we need to touch on as well. We'll do it now. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back to the early line, giving you the edge on sports grid. Kevin and I, you know, looking at what we what took place in Orlando last night. The MLS is back. Orlando City got the first win of the tournament, two to one. We talked about, you know, kind of the overarching themes that we saw. And we're going to have a correspondent come on in in our eight o'clock hour to get a little bit deeper into MLS. Talk about some of the games that are happening today, because now we are off and running in that tournament. So there are opportunities to make a little 
little bit of cash. Stick with us throughout the show. We will be talking about that. The idea that some of these basketball players are entering the bubble and we're going to start to see maybe what we've started to see in MLS because now they're doing their kind of like entry testing. We'll see what comes back with that. I want to turn our attention, Kev, to the NFL where uh, there was a trade demand and it kind of rings bells. It is the defending NFC champion San Francisco 49ers. And if you saw their playoff run last year, Kev, you know this was a critical cog. I'm talking about running back Raheem Ketchup and Mostert. He dominated in the NFC Championship game. A lot of people thought he was going to be the lead back. But remember, San Francisco does have kind of a timeshare, a big-time committee. It's not like Mostert is the only guy who can be fed or who can be effective for that run game. How do you read this, Kev? You know, I mean, is he just out there saying because he wants more money and thinks this will apply pressure? Do you think he really wants out of San Fran? Do you think he ultimately will not be a 49er come September? How do you read this trade demand for Raheem Mostert? Yeah, I mean, my first reaction is just that I, I kind of like that we're seeing more trade requests in the NFL. One, player movement is fun. Like it, it, like it doesn't have to be crazy. There, you need some level of continuity, right? But kind of getting a trade request, figuring out, okay, where's he going to go? Will they accept it? What are they like? It's fun to me. I've always enjoyed that. Like it's something that the NBA offers in droves, and it, it, I think it'll be fun to see it make its way into the NFL a bit more. But this situation is one on the from from the first look of it. I just think it makes a lot of sense from both sides of this, right? When you look at the 49ers, as good as Raheem Mostert was for them, and by the way, he led the NFL for running backs in yards per carry. Lamar actually led the league in yards per carry. And then what he did in the postseason, right, all of that shows that Raheem Mostert has value. But because of the way the Niners operate, because of the trust that they have in Kyle Shanahan to be able to manufacture production, right, they will figure it out. Whether it's Tevin Coleman, if Jarek McKinnon ever gets healthy, like if or if they have to pick a running back up, so they're less inclined to bend to a Raheem Mostert type of trades. But if you're Raheem Mostert, now is the time to try to capitalize on what right. you put forward. And his agent put out the idea that he's basically making a special team salary. And yes, that's what he signed, and maybe that's what they thought the role was going to be. But this is what happens when you far exceed your contract. You enter renegotiations to try and get the value a bit closer. And what shocked me about this in the way that now I think the the market for Raheem Mostert might actually be significant relative to what it would be had he thought he was going to be looking for you know ten million dollars a year. Is he just wants to make the same as Tevin Coleman, which is about right. four and a half million? I think Raheem Mostert is more than within. Uh, reason to ask for what he's asking for. I think he's within reason to ask with what he's asking for. I have no problem with him and his team, his agent, you know, striking when the iron is hot, right? And when you get 220 yards in the NFC Championship game, along with not one, not two, not three, but four touchdowns, people are going to know your name, right? Like his stock is never going to be higher or has never been higher than it is right now. So you might as well try to leverage that if you can. You have an opportunity, you try to do it. I understand that I don't know however Kev I don't hmm. well, I don't think however Kev that the 49ers are going to be bullied by this demand I just don't you know like Jamal Adams says he wants a trade the Jets don't have to trade him Raheem Mostart wants a trade I don't think the Niners are necessarily going to trade him Kev and here's why we talk about the value of the running back position Raheem Mostert might think that he's worth the Tevin Coleman money or what have you but the San Francisco 49ers think slash know that they're a product of the system think about all the names we've had in here Tevin Coleman yes Raheem Mostart who came from obscurity. Don't forget about Matt Breida, who they thought was, you know, not indispensable enough and already traded to the Miami Dolphins. Jeff Wilson Jr. was in the rotation. Jarek McKinnon is rehabbing from injury. So while Mostert might think it's his time to seize the day, the Niners, I think, and the supply and demand of it all are not going to, like, feel pressured by his trade demand to give him more money. I don't think they're going to bend. And so I think this is going to be a lot of, like, you know, uh, moaning and crying and screaming, but ultimately for nothing, in my opinion, Kev. 
My thing is, when I first saw this news, right, you're like, oh, wow, yeah. Mosher's going to want to get paid as if he, you know, is an all-world level back because he put up all-world level back production for this mm-hmm. team. But he doesn't. He just wants to be paid the same as Tevin Coleman, and that's super reasonable. It's very, very reasonable. Now, they might say, well, oh, well, we don't have to pay you. Look, last year, Tevin Coleman and Raheem Mostert had the same exact number of carries. Mostert had two more touchdowns and ran for over 200 more yards than him. He had 5.6 yards per carry compared to Tevin Coleman's yep. four. Like, the thing is, Mostert, from what we saw, looks to be the more valuable back of the two. Maybe they don't want to increase the cap hit in their running back room, though, by bringing Raheem Mostert's number up, because they are still paying Jarek McKinnon, because Kevin right. Coleman is under contract. So that's why I understand if the Niners don't want to move that number up. But again, if Raheem Mostert is looking for a $2 million increase, and is, is staying under $5 million in terms of a cap hit, right? Like, he's not even looking to cross anywhere near, like, Usually, when this stuff happens, right, like we're talking about, oh, Dalvin Cook wants, you know, a record-breaking mm-hmm. deal. Ezekiel Elliott wants a record-breaking deal. This guy's like, look, I just want $5 million a year. I think that means that the Niners can get themselves a market for it. I don't know why Raheem Mostert would bend on this. Plus, the way they used Mostert last year, I don't even know if they appropriately value him. The fact that, like, they, Tevin Coleman was back from an injury and was pretty much the starting running back for them in the Super Bowl instead of Raheem Mostert after the game that he had, which is I sometimes I think Kyle Shanahan's brain just turns into absolute soup when he's in a Super Bowl. But, like, I just don't see then why not move on from the guy. I think the market's there. You won't value him appropriately for some understandable reasons. Then make the move. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't necessarily think they will. I just don't. Like, you're right. And the idea of appropriate value is, you know, to what Raheem Mostert thinks. Like, the Niners think they have that appropriate value. They like their running back stable, you know. That's not necessarily true. They just – I don't know if they think that they – that they it's appropriate value. It was a deal that was signed under completely different context. Right, but they don't and, have to do anything about it. It's not like they yeah, have they to do anything. Of course. That's, I mean, that's why there's a holdout. That's why there's a trade request. I'm, I'm not naive to that. But right. something might happen, right? Like, th- this, this is the first step into a process here. Now, if the, the thing is, if you're the nine, like, if you're Raheem Mosher, why are you bending on this? It's a $2 million increase to put you in line with Tevin Coleman, who you undeniably outperformed last year. You're not even asking for more money than Tevin Coleman. And if they don't value you in that way, then you should then you should make this trade request. And if the Niners don't value him in that way, then make the phone calls. There are teams out there, I think, that should be then looking at Raheem Mostert, who put up incredible production last year and is looking to only make he's under five million a year. I don't see why the market on that wouldn't wouldn't be somewhat high. So let me rephrase, because you make a good point, Kev. Um, The way I mean it is, you know, the Niners won't sell him for pennies on the dollar. If yeah, I don't think they have to. If another team out there is like, you know, we'll give you and it's uh, attractive to the Niners, whatever the offer is, then sure. Right. But what I'm saying is they're not in a position where they have to like make a move just because Raheem Mostert wants it. Now, if they're out there in the market and what comes back is something the Niners feel is fair value, sure. And to that point, whether or not this is going to happen, we have a poll question up to describe it. Uh, right, Kev? We put it up on at Sports Group mm-hmm. on Twitter. You can always find it with us at Spit and Speed at the Kevin Walsh. We want to know, do you think this trade happens? Raheem Mostert has demanded a trade, whether it's part of a contract negotiation you know, uh, ploy or not, we don't know. We will see. But get on out there on Twitter and let us know if you think Raheem Mostert will still be in a San Francisco 49er uniform. 
when we play football again. And then again, we don't know when that will be. We'll check in on that a little bit later on in the show. Another guy out there that's thinking about what team he's going to be on, Kev, is Jadavion Clowney. You know, he was kind of one of these big-name free agents. Then the quarterback market kind of got ahead of it, right? Now the dust has settled, and Clowney is still out there. He wanted 20-something million, said he'd go down to 16, 17. We've talked about teams, the Titans, the Browns. Well, it seems like we may put the Seattle Seahawks back on the table um, because it seems like, you know, there's some reports out there that um, he might go back in Seattle with a lower asking price, maybe willing to have him. Yeah, I think this is the problem for Jadavion. I remember back when we were pre-draft, and I was yep. like, Dane, why is nobody getting signed, right? And you're like, well, look at all the uncertainty, right? Like the draft's going to play out, and people will have to revisit things then, right? And it made all the sense in the world. But then as a guy like Jadavion Clowney still sits out there, I think there is something to the idea, right? Like there are some conversations that are, being, that are happening right now in the NFL that we're going to talk about, about, you know, could they end up in a major league baseball season? A, a yeah. major league baseball type of disagreement. Is that possible? So Cam Newton is sat out there, right? And there's not really traction. And then what you see is he signs for, considering his talent and the position he plays, pennies on the dollar. It was because of the situation, right, that dictated that he ended up getting that contract. But that's exactly what happened. And I think maybe the only reason the Patriots ultimately said, all right, let's bring this guy in, is what the value was so obvious, right? Whereas with Davion Clowney, who even if he comes, you know, all the way, even if he cuts his all, the the deal he wants in half, right, it's still a double digit in terms of millions of dollars contract offer. Right. And maybe in these times, teams are like, look, I don't even know if the season's going to happen. Why am I running to give you Davion Clowney this money? We'll just wait and see. Yeah, um, I hear you. I think he's going down to the level where someone like Zadaria Smith, who signed with the Packers last offseason as an edge rusher, that may be the kind of landing spot. But, you know, you talk about it from the team standpoint. If I was the player, given this uncertainty, I'd put pen to paper so I could get some of that contract money and have some kind of guarantee in what is uncertainty all around us. When we come back, we will continue our conversations. Remember, the uncertainty around us dominates the sports world and we'll talk about how that plays out some more as we give you the edge right here kevin and i continue on the early line when we come back this is sports grid SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, to the early line, giving you the edge on Sports Grid. Kev, we were just talking about Jadavion Clowney. How much of an edge do you think he would give the Seattle Seahawks, or quite frankly, any team that is would sign him, whether that's the Titans, whether that's the Browns, whether that's one of the New York teams that we've heard about, or Seattle? Like, is he someone who moves the needle the most out of the t- people that are still out there? There's a number of free agents that we've discussed, but, like, does he have an impact? Like, does that change, say, NFC West division futures for you? Does that change the over-under on Seattle mm. for you in any way? I do think that Judavion Clowney is the biggest name available. I think that if a signing was going to move a number, it would be, it would be Clowney. In terms of whether he's even the most impactful name out there, I'm not sure. And at the price that he wants, it's just not really much of a conversation for me. And I just, has Jadavion Clowney misplayed his hand here? It's hard to argue, it's hard to argue that that's not the case. Sticking to that $20 million threshold, I don't remember the exact number, but I believe the Browns offered him a considerable number. And one that, considering the expectation that the Browns are going to be competitive, one that he probably, you know, it seems like maybe made a mistake by not offering. Going back to Seattle 
for half of your initial asking price. I don't know how ideal that situation is. And one of the problems with Jadavion Clowney is he's an edge rusher whose sack numbers fall short of the mark that you would expect from a guy who's looking for, you know, 20-some-odd million dollars. Yeah, I think it's true. And remember, Seattle has also addressed this position in other ways in the offseason. Okay, they brought Bruce Irvin back. They signed Montoya out of, uh, well, what is now what a Las Vegas Raider, although I guess he was only an Oakland Raider, was never a Las Vegas Raider, and others, right? So I don't even know that that's the predominant need for Seattle. For example, if I look at Seattle, and you know this, Kevin, they are a team that I do like. If you ask me what their weakness is, it's on the offensive line, Kev. And there's still guys you're very familiar with, like a Jason Peters, for example, a Larry Warford, for example, that are still out there i remember when linemen on philly went down you were like hey walford's still out there peters is still out there you talk about yeah. clowny he's probably name recognition the biggest out there but when i think about peters or walford you know all pro pro bowl offensive linemen and the importance especially in this coronavirus season when i'm really worried that a position group can go down and three O linemen in one you know like we see with fc dallas or nashville an outbreak in the offensive lineman room is a problem i think seattle almost could prioritize some of these offensive linemen here on this board that we have, like Peters and Walford. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I recently was reading a, a list of offensive lines uh, ranked throughout football, and the Seahawks yeah. came in as the 28th best in That's football. what I'm saying. Like, you don't think that's a team that should be on the phone figuring this out? If, uh, you know, they've pretty much been offering inadequate line play for Russell Wilson year in and year out. It certainly while. feels that way. And I think those two names that are available, right, in Larry Wofford and also Jason Peters, those are some significant names, right? So the the, the rankings I was looking over at were uh, from Pro Football Focus. And one of the things that stood out to me is the Philadelphia Eagles, right? I would say most people would have told you, like, they're, oh, it's a top five offensive line, right? But because of the Brandon Brooks injury and the fact that Jason Peters is currently not on that team, they came in at 10 on this list. And it's not to say that the list is perfect and that the list is Bible, but I think it speaks to the fact that Jason Peters still can be a legitimate starter for a number of teams out there. And it's this is why, though, I still am somewhat confused when we talk yeah. about the guys that are available. Like, Starting left tackles, they're, like it's not like there's a whole heap of them, right? It's not like, oh, yeah, just, yeah here's another starting caliber left tackle. And I, from yeah. the Jason Peters situation, Dan, unless you've seen it, but I know I certainly have not seen it. Like, is he out there requesting, like, you know, Tyrone Smith record-breaking contracts? Not I don't I think so. So I'm confused as to why Jason Peters hasn't found himself on a team. And I'm confused as to how Larry Wofford did not find himself replacing Brandon Brooks for the Philadelphia Eagles or, again, at least find himself somewhere else. Like, there are so many teams that need offensive line help. Even teams that would land, you know, in the top ten of this list that I'm referencing. Yeah. And for these two to sit out there really does puzzle me. Yeah, I think about other, like, playoff contenders that are also probably bottom 10 teams in the offensive line. Minnesota comes to mind. Buffalo comes yeah. to mind. Arizona comes to mind in terms of teams that could see themselves a contender and use an offensive lineman. I'm intrigued by cornerbacks that are still on the market as well. Kev, you know, you see on this list here, guys like Drake Kirkpatrick, guys like Logan Ryan, who flirted with the Jets. Remember that? Because he's from the area. We thought about that could be a fit. You know, you talk about the importance of offensive line. In this yeah. passing league, it looks like teams need three and four cornerbacks. The slot corner is in mm -hmm. vogue right now. I think about, again, contenders that could use the services of a cornerback. Teams like, oh, I don't know, the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Hmm. Like, I don't know, the Green Bay Packers, the Houston Texans that are out there. I'm surprised that some of these veteran cornerbacks are also still left out there. Eric Reed at safety, another one. And especially with the changing context right around yeah. anthems and kneeling. Maybe Reed would be more welcome to be signed as well. And this is the why, as you know, as much as I guess, you know, the answers are out there, right? It's a pandemic and it's going to lead to some guys not getting signed. And maybe that's the situation here. But 
why it does confuse me, right, is, for example, right, Dane, if you or I were in, were in a fantasy football league, right, and there yeah. were some talented players available on the waiver wire, I don't think, like, I would be able to be like, ah, eh, it doesn't matter, like, we're in a pandemic, I'm not going to pick him up, to where, you know, and then you also would be like, nah, I'm not worried about it, I'm not going to pick him up. I think I would be like, ah, you know what, though, I, I could see Dane picking this guy up. <laughs> Let me go make the move. Like, the fact that league-wide, Right, there is almost there's just this lack of movement towards adding guys that I still believe can make a difference. And again, Cam Newton was the best example of that. I I do find the quarterback situation in today's NFL very unique, and I think that played a part. But also, like I can't help but think, under normal circumstances, Cam Newton would have found himself with a job sooner than later, and that's as well how I feel about the corners we talk about. And as, as definitely, again, with those offensive linemen, like think about a team like the Arizona Cardinals, right? That we yeah. talked about quite a bit, and that want to make that leap. You don't think bringing in like an All Pro, at least now with All Pro level play, and like in his passing, Jason Peters could not help Kyler Murray as he continues yes. to grow in this league? Absolutely. I put Buffalo in that same category, okay? Mm. Trying to help a young ascending quarterback. You got the weapons, now protect him a little bit more so he doesn't have to try to make ridiculous plays like we saw in a playoff game. I believe Minnesota fits in that category as well. Yeah. Yes, I am with you. You know, we talked about Raheem Mostart wanting a trade. I talk about how the Niners value the running back position. We've talked a lot about how the league values the running back position. There's still some veterans out there. You know, I, I told you all fair. Shoot, the Niners can go ahead and trade Raheem Mostert. Then they could just sign Devontae Freeman, and Shanahan will have his Freeman and Coleman back just like he did in Atlanta. <laughs> Devontae Freeman is out there. Shady McCoy is out there after his flirtation with the Philadelphia Eagles. Lamar Miller, who is coming off an injury, but that was over a year ago now. And Houston, it looks like, still has David Johnson, Duke Johnson. He's probably going to move on. What about these veteran running backs? How will the market for them come into focus, Kev? Now, I will say the backs are a bit different, right, because of the way the NFL views running backs a bit. Like, these guys sitting here is less surprising. The Devonta Freeman situation specifically has been really interesting. The Bucks are like, yeah, that'd be, that'd be interesting. I think we could see Devonta Freeman being valuable for us. And then Freeman's like, then call me. And then we hear no traction after that. Like, that's where it, like, he got, like, what we thought was a decent offer from the Seattle Seahawks. And he was like, no, that's not good enough. And the next, they were like, all right, whatever, cool. Carlos, I, like, let's let's move forward. Right. Like, we're not spending time. Supply and like, demand. And anybody else yeah. will still move on from him. If Freeman wants too much, they can go, up, oh, Shady McCoy, up, oh, Lamar Miller, up, oh, other names that are still out there as well. The one thing is, and now this is, I guess, maybe the catch-22 of what we have on our hands here, Dane. The idea of these guys waiting out for that's injury right. is still very, very applicable. And you might argue that the, there are increased odds of those injuries because of everything that's going to have to be condensed. There is the other side of this, though, that you want to get yourself on a roster and get a contract because there might not be those practices that lead to those injuries or even, you know, games where people, whatever, who cares? doesn't matter if people are injured. We're not playing games. Like, so that's kind of the battle here. I will say this. If we yeah. play even the first four weeks of the NFL season, Devonta Freeman gets himself on a roster. I just I can't imagine a world where that does not happen, because the injuries at the running back position are such oh, yeah. an you know are so inevitable that you would think Devonta Freeman and maybe even LeSean McCoy and Lamar Miller and the likes of those backs find themselves on teams helping fill in where needed. Oh, I absolutely agree with you, and I think you've accurately described the fork in the road, right? You either do it, wait for injury, right, and get the good spot like we've talked about with Cam Newton before, but I lean the other direction, Kev, for me personally because of the second point you made. In this coronavirus context, with so much uncertainty, you don't want to be out there on a guy like on someone's emergency list. I think you want to have your signature on a piece of paper and whatever kind of signing bonus you can get, whatever kind of advance yeah. you can get before the game checks because this is so up in the air. I think the NFL has acknowledged on some levels that it is up in the air. Things like asking Tampa Bay about other other dates for the Super Bowl. And also another report we heard yesterday, Kev, um, the league is looking to potentially 
hold up to 35% of player salaries this year in escrow. Okay, and like, let's not just pay that out just yet. Let's hold on to this just in case. I think they're signaling the uncertainty that they understand it with that and a lot of other stuff. Does that signal the same thing to you, Kev? Real quick, you got like 20 seconds. Look, all I'll say is it's not that long ago that we thought there could be a lockout in the NFL. And if I know yeah. all of a sudden they got to negotiate under these times, not super That's confident. True. We've seen the NHL, the MLS, all these other sports struggle to negotiate in this context with the pressure that is there. Another reason you may want to get your ducks in a row, Jadavion, and do it now. When we come back, we continue talking about the NFL and all the threads to pull on it, including my Scott Fishbowl draft when we come back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, to the early line. Kevin and I coming and giving you the fun in functional sports content. Spitting statistician and my man Kevin Walsh live and direct from the basement. Yeah, Kev, I'd, get, I'd, I'd sign something if I could right now, right? Like the, the mm-hmm. NFL is on some, you know, we don't know. Let's just hold this in escrow right now. They're still trying to now work through all the messy details that these sports are figuring out are, you know, more complicated than you may originally think. That, for me, Kev, would make me want to uh, – you know, lock it in and make sure I had a source of revenue and income. Uh, yeah, but I'll also say this. That report came out about the 35% escrow. Yeah. And players left. Left. <laughs> nope. That's not a thing. And I will say this. That, the negotiations that they had, right? They did not, you know, negotiations are never like all sunshine and rainbows, right? But the end result was an agreement. That left a lot of people angry. Yeah. If we now go back and they have to have another agreement, I think that, you know, 40 plus percent that voted against will remain against, I think. And now there might be some players who really have sensed all of that said, you know what? We can't do this. I agree. Now, who knows? Maybe there ends up being too much money on the line, right? Similar to the mm-hmm. fact where I think, you know, money has, I mean, money's what's going on here, right? Like, that's why we're talking about 35% yes. of the salaries <laughs> being pulled back. Like, this is going to ultimately be a financial decision that needs to be made. But the, the, one of the things that I think has come into, like, more and more and more is that the benefit that the NFL had to wait and see and then act, all they did was wait. All yeah. they have done is wait. And I think to a degree... They thought probably, oh, look, man, we're we're September, right? We're we're August. We pre, we'll be fine. We'll have this thing under control. And if every state had done their part, maybe that'd be true. But that's not what's happened. And now, I think they're again they're a situation where they are massively behind the eight ball. I agree with you, Kevin. You know, like we have been saying, I've used so many different metaphors for this over the last couple of weeks and months, right? Like the NFL will be lucky to follow the blueprints of other sports. Our guy, Jared Smith, has always talked about reading the putt and how it breaks. I think they had that luxury. The problem, Mm. though, Kev, is that none of the other sports hit a putt that went in the damn hole. None of the other sports have a (laughs) blueprint that deserves to be followed. Their tee times kept getting pushed back. That was the biggest. Right, and so there was nothing to follow. The blueprint has not come into focus yet, right? Like, if there was something to follow, then they would do it. But we don't know the right answers just yet, you know? And so, yeah, I agree. They're in a very similar spot. The NFLPA also yesterday said that they don't think the NFL is operating with a priority of player safety, saying that they think, and I think this is a hysterical quote, Kev, the NFL Mm. thinks the virus will just bend to football. 
You know, and that's what I tell you all the time. The virus is not Republican or Democrat. The, the virus is not man, woman, old, young, white, black, a basketball fan. You know, and it's the NFLPA is at least starting to put out those same tones, the idea that like, no, 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 this is real. It's not just going to magically go away or be easy for football. It's not. It's, it's really not. And, I mean, we're seeing it right now with the preseason, right, where yeah. owners are like, all right, how about two games? And they're like, none, zero. They're meaningless. We don't want them. And it's like, oh, boy. Like, I mean, the other day, like, I think, I think, I think yesterday, right, the Ravens were like, yeah, we're expecting about maybe, you know, less than 14,000 in terms of capacity. Hey, you know that's optimistic. Like that was almost said as like a yes. We understand the severity of the situation. Right. I, I feel like that's what they were trying to signify with that number, and I'm not sure that that's even remotely what they achieved by saying that. I just, and it, I think a part of it is the NFL was the league that did not get cut off by COVID. Yep. They had the draft, and the draft went off without a hitch. They had their off season, and yes, some people had to wait longer to get themselves and get their physicals all in order, right? Like Todd Gurley was not a Falcon for a very long time versus when he was announced to be signing with the Falcons, right? We saw how, I think, in a way, that probably impacted the Cam Newton situation. But for the most part, they've been, they, they were the last to certainly find themselves impacted by this. And I do think there is still this idea that they're like, Ah, it'll be all right during August, right, guys? Like September? Yeah. No? Anybody? I hear you. Right. Like, the, they think it's going to bend to football the way this entire country serves as football with their, as, a, as a religion in some ways. You mentioned the Baltimore Ravens and that four, kind of 14,000 fans. You know, we're going to come up with other ripple effects of issues, Kev, because you know what? There's more than 14,000 season ticket holders for the Ravens, right? So then how mm-hmm. do they determine if they're going to let that many in? Which of their prize season ticket holders get allowed in and which don't? Who has that seniority? another kind of issue to be discussed. The NFL is also coming to agreement or trying to agree on some of the travel protocols because this is going to be open air, not in a bubble, more like Major League Baseball. There was the idea that they would come in and out of the city, right? The road team would come in and out. That ain't going to happen on the same day. They've said uh, the players and staff are going to have to wear masks during travel. They've said that, you know, you can't have the good old team meal, right? No team dinners anymore. No buffets at the team hotel, right? And and this protocol that they put out assumes a two-game preseason. But to your point, the players are like, we don't need to risk that. Let's start with Chiefs-Texans out the gate on Thursday night football. I mean, the problem, though, is just like, I just, I just, I don't see how they don't end up pushing back the start of their season. The idea that they're even going to, like, I understand why the players don't want these preseason games, but the idea that they're going to not play any preseason football to get themselves prepared, like, the idea that if they wait and see, they might be able to get a full 16 of games with fans, which is probably not true. But, like, the idea that that might even be possible, like, I just, I don't really see how this gets off the ground on time. And it's not to be pessimistic. It's just looking at the situation, I don't see how on the 10th of September the Chiefs and the Texans are on the field playing. Yeah, listen, I mean, if that's the putt to read, right, Kev? If that's the blueprint that has been established, that's the only blueprint I see, that this is really effing tough and that there's so many complications and that maybe we should flatten the curve first as a priority. Like, that's the blueprint, and it's becoming harder and harder to follow. But if there are games, when there are games in the optimistic sense, there's going to be fantasy football as well, Kevin. You know that I am in kind of big-time industry slash fan league, Scotty Fish. I think it's something like 1,400 teams, and we continue looking at my team on that. But what I wanted to mention first about this, did you, you know, how would you treat this if you were a commissioner, Kev? You know, first of all, Kevin, who are the probable top two running backs in fantasy football this year? Saquon and McCaffrey. That's right. And what's Saquon's last name? Barkley. Correct. So, in this draft, and I told you there's like divisions, 18 million divisions all drafting. I saw on social media yesterday, oh man, Kev, tell me how you would feel about this. So, number one overall, Christian McCaffrey. 
Someone must have like auto picked it and selected some guy. The number two overall pick in this draft, Barkley, comma Matt Buffalo Bills quarterback Matt Barkley, number two overall. I have it on my timeline on Twitter. It was blowing up social media. Before we get into my picks, what do you think about that one, uh, Matt Barkley, number two overall? What do you do if you're a commissioner? What do you do if you're in a league where that happens? It's a disaster either way, isn't it? If yeah. the guy's trolling, then it's like, man, like there's somebody else that who could have wanted this spot who wouldn't have done this, right? Like, why are you doing that? If the guy made a mistake, that's really unfortunate. I don't know how you made that mistake. But to me, like, I know that there's a lot of people out there that like to be ruthless when it comes to fantasy sports. Like, I, I know that that's how people prefer to, but like, that's just not the point of this to me. It's just not. Like, if the guy meant to draft Saquon and you're like, well, too bad, he took Matt. Like, it's just, that's not, I just, that's not fun. That's not the point of it. You've ruined the league for someone. Yes, it's their fault for making the mistake, but like, it's such an, it's, they pick second. Like, it's, yeah. it's pretty easy to figure out what was going on there. Yeah, we have it up on the screen now. We're going to put it up there. You can see taking Matt Barkley, number two overall, instead of what was the likely obvious pick of Saquon Barkley. I think that was very interesting. It reminds me of my Real Deal Stats Over Beat Cypher. Uh, someone hit me up when I posted this, Kevin. Last year or two years ago, there was legitimately – this played out, but in a more uh, – nefarious way not in a draft but someone sent me a screenshot of a trade that happened okay someone mm. thought they were trading for kareem hunt okay but instead some other manager in the league offered them a trade for kansas city running back akeem hunt and the person accepted the trade under the terms thinking it was for Kareem Hunt, Hunt, KC running back. And they got Akeem Hunt, who I guess was like a special teams player. Um, would you reverse that as commissioner? I also have a story in a basketball fantasy league. The list was, you know, by alphabetical. I was sorting the centers. I wanted my number two overall pick to be Shaquille O'Neal. But when I sorted it by alphabetically and I messed up, my number two overall pick was not Shaquille O'Neal, but was Joel Prisbilla. Yikes. What? How? Oh, that's tough. I mean, look, yeah, I, it was this really part, tough. <laughs> the, I, look, this is the thing, man. With people with those, those trade offers, you're all very annoying. There's, I have a friend in the league who does it every year. Soon as the okay. draft ends, sends you his last pick for your fir first five picks in a trade off. Right, right, right. It's not funny. It's not the first time. Okay, second time. Ah, ha, ha. stop doing it, man. It's your five in this league. They, like, yeah. like, who knows? Maybe someone will press accept. It's gonna get declined. It's not fun. Stop. You're annoyed. Why? Well, find it annoying once. The Kareem Hunt, Akeem Hunt got caught yeah, once. Like, decline that. Like, right. decline that. That's the, the last thing I will say about this in co connection with the news that happened yesterday with Raheem Mostart. You know, we talk about this. Remember, Kev, I mentioned that's why this is a slow draft. One pick every eight hours over, you know, email and stuff. When the Raheem Mostert news came out, I'll give you one guess as to what the next draft pick was in my division of Scotty Fish. Well, it had, to, it had to be either Raheem Mostert or Tevin Coleman, I would think. Absolutely. Tevin Coleman was the next pick. We'll talk about my team as it builds up a little bit more when we come back. But in the 8 o'clock hour, we go back to the MLS and we see how do we make some money off of day two in this tournament because that is on and popping. What else happened? What trends can we find from day or night one of the MLS is back? We have Tom Bogert coming up next, joining us here on the early line, hour number two. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.